Roll the stone away from the entrance of our hearts. May we walk into the dark with the light of peace in these eerie days. Know that we are not alone, for it's grace that makes us whole. May we grow in love. We are gonna make it through. We are gonna make it through. is a mystery we cry hosanna in the dark from the pit of death you are our hallelujah song survive in history easter give life a brand new start healing all our broken hearts and resurrects our Ecclesia. This is Rochelle Palmer coming to you from Pastor Sean's home office. There are a few reminders we have for you this week. First, the Ecclesia pastoral staff are offering 15 and 30 minute time slots for pastoral care each week. These are times for you to connect with a pastor through prayer and conversation. Second, each Wednesday night we share in Vespers together. Vespers is simply a term meaning evening prayer. You're invited to gather each Wednesday at eight o'clock via Zoom for a time of reading scripture, prayer, and song. Each week, Pastor Sean produces this podcast and Pastor Chris produces another podcast, Corona Conversations. 
Both are great ways to stay connected to the spirit of Ecclesia and to be reminded of God's continued work in the world. Remember that our weekend gatherings are all online. After the last gathering each Sunday, gatherings are posted on the website and they're available to be viewed again and again. Finally, we have community meetups each week covering a lot of different topics. I was a part of a book club last week and there are meetups about all kinds of things from home improvement to birding to gardening and to walking for fitness and much more. You can find all these resources at ecclesiahouston.org slash online care. Next up, you will hear Paul Pelk sing a popular worship song, Highlands, or the Songs of Ascent. This song captured my attention last summer when our eldest daughter came home from ACU leadership camps and wore this song out. It's become an anthem for me and our girls as we live the rhythm of seeking God. May the lyrics bless you, Ecclesia, as we do this really hard task of social distancing and of staying apart. May you remember that our God is no less God, even in the shadows. How high would I climb mountains If the mountains were where you hide And oh how far I'd scale the valleys If you graced the other side And oh how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace descending From the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache You're neither more or less inclined I would search and stop at nothing You're just not that hard to find on the mountains I will praise you when the mountains in my way You're the summit where my feet are So I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God in the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray Cause you're the heaven where my heart kindness extend the path from where your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinners past and though how fast would you come running if just a shadow me through the night trace my steps through all my failures and walk me out other side for who could dare us in the mountain 
It's Pastor Sean, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Quarantine Made Sacred. You know, I had an experience the other day, and I was wondering if maybe something like it has happened to you. I was getting my groceries at curbside pickup at our local HEB. And for those of you who live outside of Texas, HEB is the greatest grocery store ever invented. They were talking with the Chinese months and months before the pandemic hit Texas, so they would be prepared and know what to do. I'm so grateful for HEB. But anyway, um, Rochelle and I have done curbside grocery pickup for a while now, and we know the HEB system. But with the present pandemic, they've restructured their process. Some of you know exactly how this works. You, you go ahead, you shop online, then they give you a pickup time. And when you get there, you pull into a stall, you text them, and the shopper comes to your car. They knock on the driver's side window, ask you a few questions, and then they just go in and get your stuff. They're doing that differently now. Now, because of the physical distancing, 
they come to the passenger side window. Or at least they're supposed to. The night that I went, they didn't. My shopper actually knocked on the driver's side window. I barely cracked the window and I'm thinking the whole time, dude, what are you thinking? And the, the same thing happened when I went to pick up dinner from a local restaurant that our family likes and the delivery lady came too close to the car. And it, it also happened just yesterday when I was on a walk with the family and an approaching walker didn't have a clue about what we were supposed to do, like to spread out, to stay six feet apart. And I was really, really, really put off by a guy last week who insisted that I open my door, the door to my house to sign some paperwork. Don't these people know about the six foot rule? Matter of fact, I just read this week that COVID-19 can travel up to 13 feet. Just stay away. Like I have an asthmatic in my house. We can't afford for her to get sick. And, and to be honest with you, one of the great casualties, I think, in this moment in time is the way, the way it's led us to fear one another. Fear is not new in our culture. Fear of political parties, or at least the other political party than your own fear from dying from this disease or that disease, especially right now. Fear of violence, fear of terrorism, fear of people who act like violence and terrorism aren't threats, and then fear of people who act like violence and terrorism are daily imminent essential threats, fear of economic calamity. Have you noticed that whenever people have a strong opinion about something, the people who disagree with them, well, they're just disagreeing because of their fear. They're responding out of fear. They're voting out of fear. They're protesting out of fear. They're posting on Facebook out of fear. They watch that station and it's always about fear. They listen to that radio personality and he or she's always about fear. We are consumed as a culture, as a people with the idea of fear. But in some ways, some very real ways, fear is a good thing. Staying home right now because you don't want to get sick or be responsible for someone else becoming sick, that, that's a good fear. When someone threatens your physical body and you react, that's a Good use of fear. If you're on a cross-country road trip and decide that it's late at night and you're too tired to keep driving because you fear being in a car wreck, that's a good fear. But because fear is such a powerful motivator, people sometimes use it against us to get us to do what they want us to do. And it's easy to latch on to fear when we don't really need to. Like if you're worried about being killed by a terrorist, when you live in America, when you are statistically more likely to be killed by a television falling on you than by a terrorist, that's a bad orientation to fear. But for some of us, we've come to a place in life where fear is what we feel all the time and we can't turn it off. Or at least it doesn't feel like we can turn it off. 
We have financial concerns and concerns about our children, concerns about geopolitics and our nation, concerns about our future, and it feels like we're in constant danger, especially in times like now. And right now, a lot of us feel fear turned up to 11. So what do we do about that? What can we do when the daily headlines have literally become a daily body count? One of the most common stories in the Bible about fear is the story where angels start showing up to random people telling them that Jesus is about to be born early in the Gospels. They appear to a carpenter, some shepherds, an elderly couple, and a shaking and scared teenager. And each time when the angels show up, they say the same thing. They say, do not fear. Why do they say that? Because angels are a perfectly natural sight to be scared of. We'd be worried about you if an angel showed up and you didn't react that way, if you weren't scared. This is how it happened to Mary, the mother of Jesus in Luke 1. The angel appears to her and the messenger says, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Listen, you are going to become pregnant and you will have a son and you must name him Emmanuel. Mary, Mary's afraid because she thinks she's in danger. This has absolutely nothing to do with her faith. It's got everything to do with her fate. She's more likely worried about being killed than she is anything else. And what I love about this story is that Mary had every reason to be fearful. And she was fearful. Look, there are times, maybe today, when it's perfectly natural to be afraid. The first two weeks of our stay-at-home quarantine every day, my 13-year-old daughter, Kate, complained that her stomach hurt. And she would say that she ate too much or had too much sugar or ate something that disagreed with her or that she didn't eat enough. And all the time I'm thinking, no, sweetie, your stomach is fine. That's anxiety. You're 13. That's human. An angel shows up to Mary and he doesn't reprimand her for being fearful. He doesn't act like fear was a ridiculous reaction or that she didn't believe in God. In the midst of her fear, he doesn't rebuke her. He reassures her. The angel says, you have found favor with God. Mary has been called into an event that will reshape and remap the entire world. That's a big deal. And she gets news from the most imposing creature she's ever seen. The situation is incredibly unusual. But the moment Mary was feeling fearful was actually the moment of her favor. 
Now, one of the problems is that we have confused favor with blessing and we have confused blessing with health and money. There's nothing about God's favor that should automatically make us think favor means ease or comfort or wealth. What favor does mean is that we are in the dead center of God's will for us. So why do these angels keep showing up and telling people to not fear? Because the moments we are most likely to fear may be the moments when God is closest to us. Later in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples when a storm comes through. And the disciples, Matthew tells us, were terrified because they thought they were in danger. Now, we shouldn't paper over that because most of the disciples were fishermen. They'd been in storms at sea before. So it's got to be a pretty massive storm for them to be afraid. They are so afraid that they go and wake Jesus from his sleep. And this is what happens. Jesus asks them, he says, what are you so afraid of? You have so little faith. And then the Lord calms the storm and the disciples look at each other and they ask, who is this? What sort of man is he that the sea and the winds listen to him? I know that these can be fear fraught days for many people, many of our children. That's natural. But here's what I want you to know. This past Sunday was Easter. And the scriptures tell us that through Jesus's resurrection, that Jesus has won the victory over death. But as Hebrews 2 puts it, Jesus has also won the victory over the slavery of fear. So maybe this is a good way to think about it. When my oldest daughter was young, probably just four or five, uh, she went with me as I drove a group of campers from Houston to Abilene for camp. And I was just going to drop them off on a Sunday night, but we couldn't leave because it's such a long drive back. We're going to stay over in a hotel Sunday night and come back on Monday morning. And she was so excited about our time together. And she was looking forward to more than anything, just us spending some time in the hotel pool that night, just swimming in the pool. And this was before she had really mastered swimming at all. So we went and had dinner and then stopped by the local Walmart. And I got her those floaty things that you wrap on kids' arms. We went back to the hotel, got ready to go to the pool headed down and started swimming. And we had the place to ourselves. And she was too little to swim on her own. And so we just splashed and played around, even though she had floaties, she wanted to try and swim a little bit without them on. And so I was pretty adventurous dad at the time. So I let her, we took them off and she and I just played in the pool, me holding her the whole time. But you know how sometimes with little kids, you want to see what they can do because she had had some swimming lessons and I thought she probably knew more than she knew that she knew. And so as we were playing, I just kind of took my hands away from her right under her arms. And there was a few seconds there where she was on her own, swimming and splashing, kicking her feet and moving her arms. She was doing fine until she realized that my arms weren't there, my hands weren't there anymore. 
And then she started splashing furiously as if she was going to drown and it got worse and worse. And I just grabbed her and scooped her up. She threw her arms around my neck and she goes, Daddy, you saved me. Well, I didn't really save her. She was okay. I was close by. But what I wanted to say to her right in that moment was, oh, honey, I had you the whole time. And Ecclesia, that's where we are. That in these strange and unpredictable times when a few headlines every day can make us feel like we are going insane and that we don't know what to do or don't know what to think or what's going to happen next when some of us are feeling fearful. I think the message of the scriptures is clear and straightforward to us in this moment. That God has had us the whole time. And we really don't have anything to be afraid of. God bless. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who taught the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till